0: All right, gentlemen, we are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, We are studying the life of David. David is on the run. He is fleeing Saul. Saul has decided to to kill David, to wipe him out, uh, and the venom and hatred that Saul has is overwhelming. Uh, We left off last week uh, where David was in Philistia, in the land of the Philistines, and he went there because he felt that that was a place he could evade, he could evade Saul because he felt that Saul would be afraid to go into the land of the Philistines. And so while he was there, we know that he feigned mental illness in order not uh, to be killed. When the king found out that David was there, David killed their champion, Goliath, and David, who had had a number of successful military raids against the Philistines, uh, he was brought before the king, and so David, in order to to be uh, protected, David acted as if he was insane. Uh, Saliva coming down his beard, uh, moaning, and making strange sounds, and scratching at a door. And uh, the king made that famous statement that, uh, why have you brought me a madman? I have enough homegrown madmen. I don't need to import another one. Uh, And so Uh, As a result of that, David was able to escape, uh, go back into Israel, and now he's hiding in a cave. In this section of reading, he's hiding in a cave, the caves of Adullam, and we're going to see an insight into David during this incredibly low period of his life. I mean, you can imagine, he's an innocent guy, he didn't do anything. Uh, He's trying to serve God. Uh, and yet, even in that stage, uh, the, the enemies of God are pursuing him. And Saul, who has, is now filled with, with anger uh, and jealousy, decides that, again, he will continue to, to pursue David. And this goes on for years. It goes on for years as David will try to escape. So let's begin reading here with uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me. So he left them with the king of Moab and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Herod. And so here we have David as an innocent man uh, hitting bottom, hitting bottom. He's afraid. Uh, His life is is dissolved. And what happens is what we see here is that fear makes us do strange things. When you're under fear, when you're under great distress, even godly people will do very strange things. We know that he did that when he went into uh, Philistia and feigned mental illness. And so now he's in this cave uh, trying to figure out what to do. And what he has done so far is effectively leaned on his own understanding, leaning on his own instincts. And what happens there is that fear makes us fall out of fellowship with God. That's what happens. When you're fearful, you run the risk of falling out of fellowship with God. And when you fall out of fellowship with God, what will you do? You'll do the kind of things that you see David doing. Here's a man who is so beloved by God that David would be in the very lineage of Jesus Christ. And yet you see this, you see this here, uh, and and you see this essence of what fear does. And there's a good analog to this in the New Testament. And that was Peter. When Jesus was arrested, you know that uh, Peter was fearful of, of also being arrested and having his life destroyed. And so under those conditions, under those great fearful conditions, Peter denies Jesus three times. Now, Peter would never th- think that he would do that, but that's what fear does. And when we have fear, when we have distress, uh, we fall out of communion uh, with God. And so here he is uh, in this cave of Adullam, which is about 8 to 10 miles from Bethlehem, uh, in the vicinity of where David would kill Goliath. Uh, and yet here he is hiding out in this cave, uh, and God will find him there and God will lift him up, uh, and so we look at this and we see a, a, a very important lesson for us, and it, this is an incredibly dark and discouraging point of life, but there are several Psalms that he has written uh, effective at this point in time. He writes Psalm 57 uh, and Psalm 142 right there while he's in the cave, uh, and it shows a deep work going on in his life, let's turn to just get a sense of his heart. Look at Psalm 57. Psalm 57, verses uh, 5 to 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a neck for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God. Above the heavens, let your glory be above all the earth. You see this this man there. Even in these dark periods of time, reaching out and exalting God, thanking God, communicating with God, reestablishing that commitment, that communion that he needed to have in order to know what was happening in his life. Look also, if you would, uh, at Psalm 142, also written in the cave. Psalm 142. Let's look at verse 3, Read to 7. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Have you ever felt like saying this? Have you ever felt that besieged, that under attack uh, from the forces of evil? And, I, you know, this is a very uplifting thing for us. To read as men of God, because it shows you that even the greatest saints, the greatest saints suffer the kind of distress that we suffer. Sometimes you think we're the only people that suffer uh, the persecutions in this world. We're the only people that may have depression. Uh, And yet you see, this is a man who's really under significant attack, significant attack. Uh, And so he's reaching out to God, asking God, to take care of him, and what does he say there? There's no one that really cares for me. Have you felt that way? That despite, you have many friends and people and associates around you, may even be family members. And by the way, I want you to realize when he writes this, he's got 400 people that have now joined him in that cave. But when you read the kind of people that have joined him, this isn't exactly uh, a a military stronghold group. They will become that, but these are the discontented, the cut off. They're under debt. They're under siege. They're worried about being attacked themselves because they're from the Bethlehem area where he's born. He's worried about his mother and father. He's afraid his mother and father are going to be killed. You know, we studied last week that that Saul wipes out 85 priests. Why? Because they gave David some bread and shelter. 85 priests and their families and so the evil is permeating this area. And so David's worried not only about himself, he's worried about these people. He's worried about his mother and father. He's worried about his family. It's all coming, crumbling down. He's hiding out in that cave. Uh, and so when you think that you're, you've hit bottom, when you think that everything in your life is, is, is turning to dust, this is, a, this is a lesson for you to focus on. Uh, that God had his hand on David, right there at that moment. Now, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. And this is an important teaching moment, because when we are, when we have given our lives to Jesus Christ... When we have given our lives to Jesus Christ, everything that we go through will be within the will of God. All right? Some of it is his sovereign will. Some of it is his permissive will. But it is all within the will of God. Even when it seems as if there's evil around you, uh, God uh, can allow that evil to impact you for some greater good That God has purpose. That's the thing. God sees you as a diamond in the rough. God has great plans for you. And so we're going to see that here in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Wow. And so there it is. There it is as you see the plan of God uh, in your life. And this can be read together with Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You got that? All things All things for everybody? I mean, I heard people in the world saying to me one day, I said, well, uh, how are you? Oh, okay. You know, I just believe that everything works out for the best. You've heard people say that. The answer is, wrong. No, it doesn't always work out for the best. It often works out for the worst if you're not a child of God. It's only when you have committed your life to God That God has got a purpose in your life, and that whatever you have the confidence to know that whatever you're going through, God has His hand on you. That's why the verse said, For we know, for we know that all things work together for good to what? Them that love the Lord. Got it? Them that love the Lord and what? Are called according to His purpose. Meaning what? You're in the walk of God. You love God and you're walking with him. Now, you may may say I'm a Christian, but if I'm not walking with God, if I've gone over here to Egypt and I've walked away from God, well, let me tell you something. I'm not sure that that verse is going to be applicable to things in your life. The verse applies to walking in God's will, in his will for your life, loving him and serving him, and then you have that, that knowledge to know that he will be with you. Uh, and so you see that in this verse uh, that, that yes, we're going to suffer, we will rejoice, but we will rejoice in our sufferings. And now I know you're saying, "Come on, John, really, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't know what you're going through. And that's the thing about this world. You don't know what I go through, and I don't know what you're going through. Uh, and, and each of us, each of us, has our own walk with God. And many of you have suffered greatly. I'm a, I am familiar with some of the things that you guys have suffered and gone through. And I'm, my head is bowed as I pray for you. And, and I know how difficult it is, how hard it is when you get some bad medical uh, advice and you see what's happening in your life or, you, or your wife is dying uh, and you're sitting there and you're going through this thing. I want you to understand God is with you. God will not abandon you. Yes, there will be dark times. But if you just look to God and say, Lord, I submit to you, I give you my life, Father. God will be with you. He will lift you up. He will give you wisdom and peace even as you go through that. So here you see that we will rejoice in our sufferings. Uh, Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance. God was working on David in that cave. David was going to lead a nation for years. He was going to have to go through a plethora of bad times. And so God wanted to prepare him for that. And the way he prepared him for that was through suffering. In that suffering, his character would be built. In that suffering, he would learn perseverance. Perseverance meaning what? To stay constant with God to stay steadfast in God. He would learn perseverance. And then it says, uh, 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 suffering produces perseverance, per- uh, perseverance, character, and character hope. How about that? And character hope. The very essence of God building the man up, putting the man together to be a strong Christian man, giving him perseverance, and then giving him uh, character giving him godly character that he would know that he would rely on God. Even in that cave, when you read these Psalms and you see the desperate tone in his voice. Listen, God knows what you're going through. He hasn't abandoned you. He sees you. He loves you. He's just trying to make you an even better godly man. And here's the thing. It's not easy. Why? Because we don't want to go through this. Am I right? I mean, I know what you're saying. Isn't there an easier way? I wish there were an easier way. You know, I wish I could send you off to to a college and you'd get a degree in character or you'd go to seminary or I'd give you a self-help book, you know? But it doesn't work like that. It's as we buckle in our flesh to our fleshly ways and God says, I want to make you better. I want to give you character. I want to give you perseverance. I want to make you a leader in this world. I want you to be the kind of man that all other men will look to for guidance and support as you lead my will in this, in this kingdom. And, and why do we know this? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, I spent all day yesterday... In class, speaking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks speaking about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is probably the single most misunderstood issue in the Christian church today. Amen. All right? It is the single most under misunderstood issue in the Christian church today. Every single one of you that's in this room today who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and have submitted your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You understand that? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's the act that takes place at that moment when you give him your life. That act takes place at that moment. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is a separate entity in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't some metaphysical force. You got that? Many of us think that. It's like we think it's like a wave, an energy wave. No, no. It's the third part of the Trinity, just as much an entity as God the Father, and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so this is important for you as we study this subject because what does it mean? It means that the Holy Spirit has been given to you, not only is he with you, but he resides inside your heart because you've accepted Jesus Christ. Now nothing in the world prepares anybody for this. You can't have this this kind of a discussion with people in the world, they'll have no idea. But those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ and have seen the turning events in your life as a result of that, you can testify to this. You know your life has been changed. You know you're not the same man. You know that five, six, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it is, things would come into your head and you'd just say whatever you wanted. You know you would insult people. You would bowl over people. You would do the uh, things that would be horrendous. And you wouldn't have a moment's doubt or care about it. But now, now it's different. Now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a thought or a word comes out of your mouth, and this is the way it should be. Oh, stop, John. Oh, what did you say? Oh, God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, change my ways. Lord, help me to be more loving. Help me to be more caring. Help me to see the the need of the people. Help me to do your will. This is the Holy Spirit in your life. And so that's the point. That's why you know that God loves you. Can you imagine that you have one-third of the Trinity living inside your body? Can you imagine that God would do that for you? And so even as you're going through these crushing episodes of your life, you need to have the assurance that he's in control. He's guiding you. He's holding you. He's lifting you up through the Holy Spirit. And the problem is this, and I can testify to this firsthand. The problem is this, that for many of us, we have turned down the influence of the Holy Spirit so that he's barely visible in our lives, Because we're afraid, we don't want to look like we're a bunch of flakes and zealots. Am I right? I don't want the world to think I'm one of them goofball, born-again Christians. You know those people. I don't want them to think that, and I'm afraid if I really give it up to God, the next thing you know, I'll be down at the dock on my way to Africa. But here's the thing, folks. You're selling the Holy Spirit short. Because for many of us, if we went to Africa, we would set the work back about 100 years. (laughs) And don't you think God knows that? And that's the point of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sizes you up, knows the gifts that you have, knows where you are in your walk, and he seamlessly puts you where you need to be as you submit to to his uh, will. And that's what this is about. And so as you read these verses in Romans, I want you to think of the fact that David is there in that cave, coming to terms with God, and the Holy Spirit is working on him. And now you're saying to me, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is before the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is there before the day of Pentecost? Hey folks, from the moment the Jews left Egypt, in every aspect of God being with them, it was the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit manifested itself regularly, regularly in the whole Testament, certainly on every one of the patriarchs, certainly on any of the saints, certainly on the prophets. The difference is now, now the Holy Spirit resides uniformly across the board in the heart of every believer. That's the difference. That's what's happened on the day of Pentecost, and that's what makes this uh, so incredible uh, and so now you see what's going on, what God is doing in dealing with, with David. God is, is, is bringing David to the point where his character is now going to be developed. Now he's not going to rely on his own instincts now. He's not going to do that anymore. God wants him to rely on him and to do what, he, what, what God wants for him as the Holy Spirit inserts himself. Look also to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is the Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit. And so the very transformational aspect of the Spirit in your life, as he is molding you and putting you together in a way that you probably don't want to go, because it hurts, because it's painful, because it's not easy, because it's hard to give up your own self. But when you are doing that, you are reflecting the Lord's glory. Isn't that what you want to do? Isn't that really what it's about? You see, that's the essence of the Holy Spirit. The essence of the Holy Spirit is it points to Jesus Christ. The essence of the spiritual gifts that you have been given. And there's not a person in this room that does not have spiritual gifts. We don't have the same gifts. God has dispensed them based on what he believes you should be doing and all of you have spiritual gifts but here's the thing those spiritual gifts point the way to jesus they point the way to jesus as you have a transformational aspect of your life and your very face reflects god so you say to me oh i can't preach like you preach i can't get up and teach like you preach but i said "Can you drive somebody to the hospital can you bring somebody a meal?" Can you go and pray with somebody? Can you go and help somebody out? There's a list a mile long of people that need the the inspiration of God in their life. And you see, each of us has some gift that goes along with that. But here's the other point of this, as you understand the spiritual gifts. Don't go around. Don't go around and say, oh, yes, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. My stomach buckles when I hear people say that. Because what that is, is that's pride. You understand? That's pride. That's saying, yeah, on the 10 point food chart, food list, I'm number 10 and you're number two. You think that's what God wants from the Holy Spirit in your life? He doesn't want that. God instead wants these gifts, wants the spirit in your life to uplift Jesus, not to uplift you. It's not about you. It's not about you. And David was being brought to terms with all of this. Yes, you killed Goliath. Yes, I've anointed you to be king. Yes, you will be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, but it's not about you, David. And when you make it about you, you're going to be doing dumb moves, like going into the land of the Philistines and acting like an insane person. Instead, I want you to be where I want you to be. And I'm going to put you back right in Jerusalem. I'm going to put you right back in in Judah, in an area where you'd be afraid to go because you would think it'd be the worst place to go. I'm going to take you out of that cave. I'm going to pull you out of the cave, and I'm going to put you in a spot where you would never want to go because it's too dangerous. But I'm going to give you a testimony. I'm going to stand tall with you so that even in the darkest moments, I'm going to be with you. And when at the end of the day, your life story is written, the story is going to be how God exalted you. Not about you being so smart, so gifted in a way, but I'm going to show that despite everything that you might want to do yourself, it's going to be a transformational experience uh, as, as you understand what his will is for you. look, There are guys in this room who are hurting bad right now. I know your story. I'm praying for you. My heart breaks for you, but I want you to understand something as you hear me speaking this right now. You're in the cave. You're right there with David. But I know the end of the story. And the end of the story is that God lifted David to be king over all of Israel. He had become the greatest king. And to think that David, who had a love of God, would would God would be forgiven for all his misdeeds because at the end of the day, he bowed in submission to God. And that's the lesson for you. Even in these dark times that you're walking in right now, you're in a cave. Bad things have happened to you. Things don't look good. You're wondering, what's this walk about that I'm in? I thought if I were a Christian, I wouldn't have to go through these things. Wrong! I told you that. Don't let anybody ever tell you the idea that when you're a Christian, it's a rose petal path to heaven. What happened to the first eleven guys? How'd it work for them? So don't go down that path. Don't go thinking it's nothing but prosperity and affluence. It's not. We live in an evil world, but God is holding on to you. And he's going to sustain you in that cave, and you're going to see this here uh, in this life story. And so, in verse four, we just read. David chose to hide his family in Moab. Moab, another country, Moab. And and this is an interesting historical note because uh, David's uh, father, his grandmother, uh, was Ruth, a Moabitess. And so they had a, a, a connection. They had a connection with Moab. So he brought them there. Uh, he brought them there and asked that they take care of them. He was concerned about his mother and father. Uh, he was concerned about them. And I have to tell you that this preys on my heart uh, very strongly. Because if you are a godly man, listen well, you will take care of your mother and father. If you are a godly man, you will take care care of your mother and father. If you don't take care of your mother and father, you're violating one of the basic commandments of God. And just to refresh your recollection, turn to Exodus chapter 20. And so here he is in a desperate time of his life knowing that his life is under threat and yet he's, he recognizes that he wants to protect his mother and father. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your mother and father. Honor them, protect them, take care of them, be with them. You're a godly man. Step up and do what God wants you to do, all right? Step up and do what God wants you to do. This is a first obligation of a godly man. Take care of your mother and father. Pray for them, affirm them, lift them up to God, be with them, support them in every way. This is an ongoing Christian obligation. You see it here from a guy who's fighting his for his life, sitting there in the midst of depression in the caves of, of Adullam, and yet that and yet he is doing that. And it's so it's so poignant. Um Turn also to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Whoa, okay, what does it mean? It means that you have an obligation. You have an obligation. God has given you a family. He's given you a father, he's given you a mother, he's given you an immediate family. You are to be a leader, an example. You can't allow people like that to, to be not taken care of. God expects you to step up. And if David did it at this point in his life, at this point in his life, when he's under this kind of stress, And how much more, how much more is it uh, for us as you see see his life unfolding? And so here he is in the caves of Adullam, And effectively what he is, he's in God's boot camp. He's in God's boot camp. Uh, He's hiding out. He doesn't want anyone to know where he is. And now all of these people now come to him. Uh, And it's interesting, this family comes to him and what's interesting, it's not just his mother and, brother and father, but his brothers, and his brothers were in the army. His brothers were fighting for Saul. What does it mean? It means most likely that they went AWOL, that they recognized what was happening to their brother. And so they all, the father, the mother, the brothers, uh, all come to the cave. And these 400 people come as well. And, and the Bible talks about these people Uh, And it's interesting how the Bible describes them. Uh, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. These weren't the creme de la creme of society. These were people on the run, people who owed money to Saul. Saul would do that. Obviously, he was the wealthiest man in Israel. He would lend money to these people, and then when they couldn't pay back... Now, they were basically indentured to him, and so this is all part of the story, and so they see everything collapsing. Uh, They understand what's going on, and so now they're all coming to David, all the malcontents coming to David. And what you're going to see here is this, that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God will transform these 400 men because of David. God will turn them into a unique and elite fighting force that will be called the mighty men, the 400 mighty men that God will do. And what you see is how God brings us together with the people that he wants us to impact, and God will use our lives to impact these people, and God will take it and make it an even more incredible testimony as God lifts us up. And so what what, what an incredible story here. And so in verse 5, in verse 5, The prophet Gad exhorted David to leave Moab and return to Judah. Now, if you were a strategist, you wouldn't do this. Why would I go back to Judah when I'm I'm pretty secure here now in this cave? I'm away from the main body of force. Why would I go back to Judah and expose myself? Um, And yet you see, David was quick to respond to the prophetic word and return to Judah, even though it was far more dangerous than Moab. Far more dangerous. David moved to a forest area in Judah uh, on the edge of a mountain chain. uh, And Saul had 3,000 men out to destroy him. How do you like that? 3,000 men. And so there was great fear amongst these 400 men. Great fear. They knew that they were vastly outnumbered. But this became an important prophecy in the life of David. Why? Because David then at that point surrendered himself. Okay, God, it's not about my instincts. It's not about my talents. It's not about my intellect. But I will defer to you. If you want me to go back to Judah, even though I don't understand it, I will bow in submission to you. And I will go back to Judah And so David had to trust God every day of his life while he went back to Judah. He couldn't use his instincts. He couldn't use his gifts. He was outside of his comfort zone. Do you hear what I just said? He was outside of his comfort zone. And I want to say that to you right now, that there are many men in this room who right now are outside of your comfort zone. You're in a place where many of you have never been in your life before. You're going through things that you've never been through in your life before. Your instinct, the natural instinct, is to think of some way that you can use your gifts and talents to extricate yourself. I'm going to say this to you. If you bow in submission to God, and you ask God to, to fill you with the Holy Spirit and to give you the wisdom that you need and the strength that you need, God will answer your need. He will be there with you. He will protect you. He will lift you up. Look, am I going to say to you that all of a sudden you're going to have all kinds of affluence poured into your life? No, I'm not going to say that. That's a lie. All right? But God will give you what you need, not what you want. Did you get that? He'll give you what you need. And that's the point when you're in the dark period, when you're outside of your comfort zone. God, give me what you need. Lead me, Lord. Tell me what you want me to say. Tell me where you want me to go. This became a key, key part of David's life. David ultimately would have a greater testimony in his life uh, because of the intervention and deliverance of, by God, by being in Judah uh, and protecting the people from the invasions from the Philistines than he would ever have, ever have, when he, if he stayed in the cave of Adolam, by going back into Judah, outside his, his zone of protection, God would give him a tremendous, uh, a tremendous victory. Uh, and, and so you see this. And now, as we continue to read in our, uh, out of Scripture, continuing on with verse 6, we're going to read about the terrible uh, tragedy of, of the killing of the priests. Verse 6, now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, and Saul, spear in hand was seated under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah, with all his officials standing around him. Saul said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? How do you like this guy? All right, it's bribery. There it is. Look at me. Look what I can do for you, what I can give for you. That's the world, isn't it? Isn't that the world? Isn't that the lesson of the world? Oh, come on. Look what you're missing out on. You're a smart guy. You're a talent. that We can use you. You can get great. You can get great traction. Who knows how high you can rise in the world? And here he is. It's like Satan speaking to you, isn't it? It's like, it reminds me of Satan speaking to Jesus as he brought him up on the, on the hill uh, over Jerusalem on the wall. I can give you all of this. I can give you all of this, not realizing that you're selling your soul to the devil. All right, uh, verse eight. Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. This guy is the world's biggest paranoia. He is, he's unbelievable what's happened to this guy. But now our friend Doah comes back. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing on, uh, with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse came, come to um, Ahimelech, son of Atub at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest, Ahimelech, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Atub, yes, my lord. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? And the son Uh, of Jesse giving him bread and sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for him for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king who of all your servants is as loyal as David? How about this? The very guy now at the point that his life is threatened right now under the inspiration of God is now standing up but look Saul he's the most loyal man you have in the kingdom. What's going on here? Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. It's as if God is speaking through this priest at this point Uh, and reminding him about who David is, about his bona fides. Why are you doing this? Uh, uh, and, and, and so he, he continues on. But the king said, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. How about that? How about that? There they are. Kill them. Kill the priests. And yet those in in the royal uh, army there surrounding Saul wouldn't do it, wouldn't raise their hands because they knew it was against the will of God that they were doing that, that they were were being inspired by evil. But there's always a snake, right? There's always a snake. There always is. There always is. Uh, And there's a snake here, all right? Verse 18. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put the sword, uh, uh, he also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men, women, its children, and infants, its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. How about this carnage? Entire town is wiped out. Entire town is wiped out. As you see, evil permeating itself. But Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, son of Atub, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar that day, when Dog the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. And that's the beauty of David, the heart of David. He doesn't deflect he doesn't say anything else. What does he say? I am responsible. It is my responsibility. I, I did this stupidly, uh, and I shouldn't have lied, and I shouldn't have done it. And yet we're going to see how God is going to protect him. We're going to talk about, about this sacrifice uh, and how it comes uh, really as, out as a result of a prophecy made years before that God made it. Let's bow, and we will continue this in two weeks. Let's bow. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the words that you've given us. Lord, we are inspired when we read about the life of David and we see him in times of trouble in the cave. Lord, we are all in a cave in various ways. And so, Lord, we ask you to intervene in our life and affirm us and give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to be strengthened through your will and the Holy Spirit to serve you in balanced submission and to use this as a testimony because we know, God, that you have greater things in mind for every single man in this room. Lord, bless them, protect them this week, and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word in two weeks. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.